Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berenday, and today we have, again, one of my favorite guests, Jerome Braggs. And our conversation today is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be talking about racism and ancestral healing. Jerome has been bringing forward some really powerful information in regards to what's happening today um, in our country and beyond. And so I'm, I feel just really honored and blessed to have him again. Jerome, you are the only person who I've had on this show three times. So, <laughs> um, I just, I really appreciate you so much. <laughs> Um, yes, and I just want to say thank you for, for saying yes to this. Thank you for having me. I am honored three times over. Mm. <laughs> um, for our listeners, if you have not yet gone and checked out the episode, How to Love Yourself Holy um, and Sexual Healing and Spiritual Growth, these are two conversations that I've already had with Jerome on the show and so please 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 go and listen to those as well so you can get a a deeper taste of him in a in a different context um like i said we're going to be diving into racism and ancestral healing today it's not really a light topic but i have (laughs) a feeling that that we're gonna we're gonna um bring it forward my hope is that we're gonna bring it forward in a really respectful way um so that's that's my prayer with this because it's it is a hot topic and there's so much nuance to it and um and you know this is this is real we've got this we're we're making it real so um we are we're gonna go to a break before we dive into this topic so that it can be completely uninterrupted and before we go to that break jerome i am going to ask you to once again share your superpowers with our audience I think my superpowers are um, my words, my writing, and my ability to love myself. Mm-hmm. I totally, I think one of my favorite things about you is how like unafraid and just how willing you are to blatantly love yourself in front of everybody. Mm. I love, I love that so much about you. Like, and the way you do it, it's like, it's not ego driven. It's just like, I love myself and I'm not afraid to let you know that I love myself. And it's so powerful. Um, there's a story behind that. <laughs> I'll make it super quick. Okay. Um, so many years ago, uh, when I was first coming into trying to work for myself, and I was working as a business mentor and a speaker at that time. And I went to the speaking training and there was, a, there was a speaker who was telling this story. And the main message from the story was about how your, how your real work is to love yourself and let them watch. Mm. And he had it up. He had a little poster of it up on the board. And after he finished speaking, I begged him, can I have that poster? And he gave it to me. And so in my home, in my office, I have this poster that hangs that says, love yourself and let them watch. And that was when I got, I brought it home. I said, this is going to be the way I live my life. Now I wasn't doing that well at that time, <laughs> not anywhere near that. 
but that was my intention that um that that was my real service to the world mm. that i was going to just love myself out loud in public yeah so that people can see what that looks like yeah and you're doing it and i love it i love it thank you okay so we're gonna break um will you tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and your work yeah, my website is uh, jeromebraggs.com. That's my full name, jeromebraggs.com. And my Facebook page is facebook.com slash coach Jerome Braggs. Um, and my Instagram, Jerome underscore Braggs. Awesome. Definitely go check him out on social media because he's bringing forward some really potent stuff, especially in regards to this topic. So, all right. Stay tuned. We're going to dive in. You're going to fasten your seatbelts for this one, everyone, because we're going to take off. All right. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter. We now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. Okay. So one of the things that I have seen you bringing forward around this conversation, first of all, let's just, I'm not sure exactly when, when this is going to air, but this situation is not just like going to go away overnight. So I'm sure that <laughs> this conversation is going to be relevant. Um, still at the time of this recording, we've been seeing, you know, huge eruption over the past month. Um, there have been major protests everywhere, including in other countries around the globe. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement has, has come forward in full force, and there have been some really heated conversations um, around race in our country and racism and the history of colonization and white supremacy, and it is thick. And there is so much to it um, and so much emotion that has been bubbling up for people. One of, one of the things that I have seen you bring forward, um, you, you seem to have a lot of clarity around sort of the different work that um, people in, in, in lighter skin bodies and people in brown and black skin bodies have to do around this topic. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess I would just love it if you could lay out for everyone sort of the nuance you've been talking about, you know, sort of the white ego and narcissism and, and the, the black empathy or 
yeah, I'm, I'm going to screw it up. So I would love for you to just sort of like <laughs> lay it out, <laughs> lay it out for everyone. I don't want to screw it up. It's so okay. beautiful what you're bringing forward. I'm going to stop talking now. Okay. Um, yeah. So let me, let me first say, um, the information I've been getting has been in forms of downloads, mm-hmm. um, from higher consciousness. So, and it's been coming as downloads because I ask a lot of questions. That's the way my life works. So I ask questions and I want to know the deeper meaning behind things. And I also, one, I want to know the deeper meaning behind things. And the other big ask that I always have for my life and for anything that presents itself in my life is how can I experience a deeper level of well-being around this? And so that has always been my driving questions is what is the soul meaning and soul perspective behind this situation? And how can I experience a deeper level of well-being in this experience? And so as I, you know, as, as things come up in the collective or in my personal life, I ask these questions and this has just <laughs> led to a barrage of new information that I've been receiving around racial relations and racial conflict. And one of the big things that has shifted my complete understanding around it is that we are in this country, in America particularly, when we talk about black and white relations, what we are actually seeing, what we're actually in is both a a codependent relationship and an empath narcissist relationship. And when you understand it from this part, all of it started to make sense. And not just not just why things are happening the way they are, but also what we need to do to transcend this relationship mm-hmm. into a more well experience. Mm-hmm. And the big ahas that I got was um, that a few things. One, that the in this relationship, the the, the Black Americans or the African Americans are on the impasse side of this relationship. And the white Americans are the white souls here are on the narcissist side of this relationship. And when you have a unhealed narcissist impact relationship, it becomes codependent and becomes oppressive and abusive. Where one person, um, where one part of the this relationship um, is seeking power is gain, it's gaining power from another person and the, where and the other half is giving their power away where one person feels better than the other person feels less than where one person is constantly getting their needs met where, where another person is not getting their needs met and usually also um in service to the other person's needs and what i've been getting around this also is that our soul this is a master class this is a masterclass mm-hmm. in stepping into um, sovereignty. It's a masterclass in understanding um, who you really are as a soul and really stepping into your power and your lovability as a soul for both sides in the world. When you actually underst- when you actually get the lessons from this relationship and you do the work to come back to center, you transcend, not just transcend this type of relationship, but you literally move the world forward. You literally evolve it. Mm. And we chose this. 
this is another big aha that I got <laughs> because as a black man, uh, African-American man, um, who fits many of the stereotypes that people have of African-American men, like I'm big, I'm muscular, I'm bald, I'm darker skinned. Um, and I've had many experiences of racism in my life. This was a big aha for me because this wasn't something that I grew up believing or that I held in my own personal stance and approach to this, but that your soul actually chooses. So from the soul's perspective, when it is in the dimension of soul, which is, which is the dimension of, of source or God or oneness or love or heaven or whatever you want to call it, it has the broadest perspective. It knows everything about the lifetime that it wants to incarnate in. And it knows, and it makes these decisions not from a place of um, obligation or responsibility because the soul is unconditional love. And so there is no should or have to. From the soul's perspective, it is only want to. And so it looks at all these things. It looks at your gender. It looks at the color of the skin. It looks at the culture that you'll be born in. It looks at your parents and what they're going to offer or not offer at your country and all of that. And it says these elements are going to assist in me <clears throat> both learning how to expand the light of my being in the world and also fulfill whatever purpose I want to have in this particular lifetime. And so there's no coincidence that you're either a black soul or you're a white, you're a soul in a white body. There's no coincidence and that you come in this time and in this place. And you also come as an alchemist. Your soul comes to help restore the vibration of the planet back to love. And this particular racial situation is a masterclass in these things. And the masterclass <clears throat> is different. It is, you're learning different things. So as a black soul, I am learning different things in this relationship than the white soul is learning. And I have different things to heal in this relationship than the white soul has to heal in this relationship. And when we understand that, when we understand and we, and we don't look at it as we're the exact same with the exact same things to learn and the exact same things to do and the exact same things to change, when we can understand that's not actually the case, then that's when we can actually make the big changes in transcending racism. The huge changes. It's, it's really, really like um, if you look at a relationship between a man and a woman that is abusive. Yeah. It is very, very, very similar to that, right? So the man has things. So if the man is the abuser in this relationship, let's just use this particular example. The man is abuser in this relationship and the woman is the one being abused. There are two things we need to look at here. The man needs to take a look at what is within him that views her as something to that he can abuse, something that is less than him, something that, you know, he has a right over or whatever the case is. He is supreme over. And looking at that and healing those aspects in his consciousness and those things that may have come down his family line and and looking at his behavior and the and the woman needs to look at also not just doing what she needs to do to be healthy and to be safe right that's an aspect of it 
but also what in her belief system and her consciousness and her vibration would choose a relationship like this? What would allow her to stay in a relationship like this? And what allows her to attract partners like this? And these are all the things we have to look at. Both people don't, it's not just one person's job to end this type of violence in the cycle. And also, um, which we'll get to in a second, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. One person's, it is actually, and when we come into um, codependent and empath narcissist relationships, because that's what this is, it is actually the empath's job. It is actually the empath's part to heal first. Which is, that's, I mean, and when you're talking about primarily the African-American community, the black community, and when you're talking mm -hmm. about empaths, right? Yeah. And so how, how does, I mean, that is such a, that's, that's like a really, that does, I'm sure that doesn't land well for a lot of people. Of course, because it's not, this is, this knowledge, which I have come to find out, so my whole life has been about healing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my entire life has been about healing. And, you know, through the other interviews we've done, you know this. Mm -hmm. um, and I've learned a lot about it. And what I have learned is the wisdom that you need the medicine that you actually need to heal yourself is not going to be popular. It never is. It's never the popular wisdom. The popular wisdom is never the wisdom you actually need to heal yourself. It is always going to be something new. It is always going to be the thing that's pressing the envelope. And so this is that thing. And it's hard for the, and, and there's a many reasons. One, we're not taught anywhere in any of the institutions that we move within, in our education systems, in our religions, um, in, any, any, in our work environments. We are not taught that we are soul beings, and as soul beings, we are the sovereign energy of our lives. Right. That's the first thing to really, <laughs> that is really going to blow the top off of many people because we are taught that there are things in our reality that don't have anything to do with us. And there are things in our reality that we don't control. And the first awakening that you have to have is that that's not true. Now they may not be there. They may be unwanted, but though they have something to do with you. And now, how, that's the big thing. How do you, how do you view that in terms of like systems of oppression that have been established? Yeah. So, there was a, um, there is a principle of the soul that I had to learn many, many ways <laughs> and many, many times before I really got it and I really began to implement it in my life. And that is, nothing can assert itself into my life if I haven't given an energetic invitation. Mm -hmm. And so it can exist. It could be there, but it cannot be in my experience if I'm not an energetic match to it. And, I, and what taught me this finally was, and, and, and I want to share this story because it actually helped. It actually taught me about my experience with racism. It helped me transcend some elements of the experience. Because again, I'm a black American, I'm a male, I'm a black male American, and I live in the Midwest. And mm -hmm. 
so from every and from if I told you exactly where I live from everybody else's perspective, they'd be like, there's no way that you're not experiencing racism 24 <laughs> seven. Um, there's just no way you would not believe that. And for a while, that was exactly my experience until this thing, until I had this life experience and this life experience had to do with spiders. <laughs> and I was used to be horrified of spiders and I had every reason. I didn't, this, this wasn't just an irrational fear. I had a very rational reason why to be afraid of spiders. So just to give you a little back history, where I live, um, it used to be there was an empty lot next to me. There was an abandoned house on the other side, and then there was a huge field in the back. So insects would find, and critters would find themselves in my house a lot, especially spiders. Mm-hmm. And all types, and some huge ones. Now... And they would bite me, by the way. <laughs> and they would bite me in my sleep. Uh-huh. I would get bitten a lot. I would wake up a lot and be bitten by spiders, as a matter of fact. So just to, I have to nail this in the home so this would all correlate. <laughs> One night, I felt this immense pain in my groin, just to be Ooh. even more vulgar, on my dick. <laughs> and... I put my hand down. It's like, oh my God, what is that? I put my hand in my underwear and I'm to touch it. And I reached out and there was a spider on my hand. A oh. spider had bit me on my dick in the middle of the night. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so verified so, fear spiders. So this is a verified <laughs> fear spiders, you guys. And I had done everything that I could. I had done everything. I had hired exterminators i had sprayed i had done everything it just did not they would still come they would still bite they would still be everywhere and there was this one name um and this was at the time that i was um um probably in in the midst of my healing journey so i was on dialysis Hmm. and there was a time that i had a dialysis this is dialysis day so i had dialysis treatment if you know anything about dialysis after someone has dialysis treatment, you are fully drained. You are extremely tired and all you can do is sleep. And so this was one of those days and I actually had, I couldn't have just come home from the treatment and gone to bed. I had to go do something this day. So I was extremely drained and I had come home and I was the t- type of tired where I did was not going to be able to make it to the bed. And I was like, I was literally about to collapse on the bed, literally this tire. And I'm walking into my room to collapse on the bed and I stopped dead in my tracks because there is probably the biggest spider I've ever seen on my headboard. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and I'm in terror because I'm like, I don't, I literally don't have the energy to do anything. I don't have the energy to walk back and try to get any type of spray or anything. I don't have the energy to try and shoo this spider away. I don't have the energy to do anything. I am literally seconds away from almost passing out. And so I'm having this, like, almost this cosmic moment in time where I'm like, what are you going to do? Because you can't do, I can't do anything. And in that moment, I had this huge awareness. I had this, just, I heard my soul say, You've been teaching for years that you can trust this universe and that you're safe. You've been teaching for years that this universe loves you. Are you really going to practice it? Mm. 
And I had this moment like, I don't have a choice. Either I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust that I'm safe with the spider. Or it's just going to bite the shit out of me and this is going to be the worst night of my life. I have a choice and I actually don't have a choice because I'm about, I need to, I am five seconds away from passing out. So I made the decision. I said, I'm just, I am now going to trust that I am safe. I am not just safe in this situation, but I am safe with all spiders. Life loves me, including this version of life. Mm. And not only am I safe here, but this spider is safe with me. I am not an enemy of you and you're not an enemy of mine. We, you can live here. And I, this all happened in the matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. You can live in my house. I am no longer going to try and kill you. I am no longer going to try to shoo you away. But here are the boundaries. You can't be in my, my bedroom. And I don't want to be in spaces. I don't want you to be in spaces where I see you all the time. If I see you, you need to, if you're in the house, you can be in a corner, be up under a bed or something. Fuck that. It's completely fine. I'm not going to try to get you out of there, but I just don't want you in my spaces. But I am safe and I'm going to go to sleep. And I felt the shift in my body. I felt it. I was like, I'm willing to believe this. And I lay and I fell like I literally fell onto the bed. And I remember the last thing I remember was the spider. because How I had fell by the bed. The spider was literally an inch above my ear. And that was the last thing I remember before I woke back up. And when I woke back up in the morning, there was no bites anywhere. I didn't have any pains anywhere to say that I had been bitten. I didn't see the spider anywhere. And I woke back up in the morning with this deeper level of trust in life. And this is where the biggest miracle happened. The biggest miracle happened is I saw a spider again the next day and I saw it and I didn't have any fear. And I said, remember the boundary. And as soon as I said that in my mind, it ran right up under this little chair that I had where I couldn't see it. Hmm. I have not seen a spider in my house again mm. since that moment. Mm. And that's been over six years ago. I have not had one spider in my house and I would have at least 10 a day since that moment. And that moment taught me that when I trust and I trust in my own safety and I trust in my well-being, that is the experience I have to have. However, when I trust, life has to prove itself trustworthy to me. When I don't trust, when I am afraid of it, I have to get evidence of something to be afraid of. And this, when I began to have this experience, I said, wow, what if I could do this same experience with race? What if instead of fearing the police and fearing my experiences with white people, what if I began to trust that I'm safe everywhere that I go, that I am safe with them? that they are not an enemy of mine and I am not an enemy of theirs. What if I extended the same trust to my experience with them? What would happen? And so I did it. This is another thing with me. I am like a scientist 
when it comes to spiritual principle. I don't believe, I believe in testing things all the way out. And if they don't work, then that's something to throw in the trash. But to absolutely, tr- absolutely test it out 100%. But I, w- I just want to pause you for a second because you trust is not something you can fake. Not, not one bit. Right. Not one bit. This is why it's a science experiment. You don't just play like you're putting oxygen <laughs> and hydrogen <laughs> together. You have to actually put those things together and you have right. to do the process that puts those things together. And what I have found is just like that. If you will take a deep dive in what I call true trust, your life will be miraculous. And this is one of the healing things that has to happen for black folks. This is one of the healing things that happen. So here's what happened. All of a sudden. So also, by the way, when I told you again, I told you I had, I didn't give you specifics, but I told you I had, you know, I was experiencing racism left and right. Mm -hmm. I was getting stopped by the police. I was getting, I was put in jail one night um, in front of my house because they didn't believe that's where I lived. Mm-hmm. Um, I had all these types of experiences. I was stopped just re- almost all the time, ridiculously. So you, you don't have your seatbelt on, even though I had it on, like all these things. I had all these experiences and I began to practice true trust. And I began to move through my life every day with true trust. And then all of a sudden I would be having these, the, the police would stop me and I would have these beautiful conversations with them. And they would be like, you know, I had this one time, this was, this was when I knew this was real. I was stopped this one time and my insurance had lapsed and I did not know and it had been gone for three months and my license was expired and I did not know. And I didn't have my seatbelt on. <laughs> and the cop was like, you know what, man, I'm just gonna let you go. Not even a warning, just, just get your stuff together. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have been put in jail before over nothing. I have gotten tickets for nothing. I had every reason (laughs) to get all the tickets today and nothing. And I had, and more and more and more, my experiences with them were like that. They became like this, where I was, I I was in the wrong, by the way. I want to make sure I'm very clear about this. I'm not talking about I was even innocent. I was fully in the wrong and and all the experiences that followed, whether I was speeding, whether I ran this light, whether whatever. And my experience was one of well-being where I didn't even get a ticket. And this is, and I began to understand the only thing that changed, by the way, my car didn't change, my appearance didn't change, my behavior towards the police. Even there was a time I had a a time, it it was actually on close to Christmas. I was actually, because I was pissed when this cop pulled me over this day, and I was pissed at first, and I had a raging attitude with him. And when he walked back to the car, and he had a raging attitude with me. And when he walked back to the car to get the ticket, I said, wait a minute. Remember, he's not an enemy of mine, and I'm not an enemy of his. This is going to work out in my favor. I'm safe in this world and life loves me. He came back. You know what, man? It's okay. I'm going to let you go. Just park your car correctly. Hmm. Total shift, right? And the only thing that changes is what shift within me. This is the big learning that we have around race right now is there needs to be internal shifts. We have focused so much 
on the external shifts, like the systems and all those things need to change too. But here's the thing and what we've been seeing evidence of already. If you change external systems and you do not make the internal shifts, what's going to end up happening is you're going to find ways to circumvent those systems or you're going to change those systems right back to being oppressive. Right. And it's the internal shifts that we need to focus on now if we're really going to transcend. Because you can make a lot of changes in this world without making internal shifts, but you can't make transcendence. Transcendence requires internal shifts. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think both are needed, but like you're saying, like the internal shifts have to come first. We do need new systems in place. But I was just talking to, to someone about this yesterday. It's like if if we if we're gonna blame everything on white supremacy, it's like okay, white supremacy exists, right? That's that's a that's a mm-hmm. thing. But if we make everything about that and if we blame everything on that, it's almost like the attitude with which that is occurring. <laughs> Ironically, it's almost like perpetuating that that white supremacy energy, right? Because it's this dominating, like, this should exist, this shouldn't, it's like this binary, like, this is okay, this is not okay. You know, you have to, we have to police every bit of our, our actions and our language and, and, and it's, it gets really exhausting. And it, it's almost like we're setting up a landmine for each other. Yeah, like make no make no doubts about it. <laughs> the consciousness of white supremacy needs to be transcended. Yeah. Right. But let me also like make no like please don't misdrew my words at all. If you're hearing me, I am all for the transcendence of white supremacy. Um but what I also know, and I, I alluded to this at the beginning. So if you look at it like this, if you go back to this is what my 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 guides we're downloading into me and making me really see. And we've had many conversations over the last weeks about this. They're saying you really need to look at it. What would help us understand it more again, because we've had enough practice and enough, enough collective consciousness with this dynamic to where we can see different pieces of it from this space. If you look at it from an abusive male, female relationship, if we continue to say, that so again the the ending of abuse between between men and women is not solely on men the ending of abuse also requires women's empowerment and women's consciousness shift yeah i mean i've been saying that for a long time it's true it takes both Mm -hmm. it has to have both Mm -hmm. and the thing that happens first is women's empowerment and women's consciousness shift because in that space, when women say, when they, because when women feel empowered, one, they set boundaries. They speak up for what's not, what's not acceptable for them anymore. They say, this is harmful behavior and it won't be accepted. And if it is accepted, this is what's going to happen. And, and it may be the withdrawal of, my, of my, um, my connection with you or my engagement with you for a while until you learn how to stop doing harmful behaviors is when they begin to understand I create my own reality and I have sovereignty and I can, and I am the sovereign being in my space. That is, and they begin to get their needs met. 
and not also become so um, overgiving and meeting of the man's needs and help and, and meeting their own and putting themselves first. What ends up happening is that catalyzes this shift in the man where he says, oh, wow. Okay, so there are boundaries in place. She's not meeting my needs all the time. So now I have awareness that I need to learn how to get my own needs met too. Oh, wow. I may not have even been aware of this was harmful, but she's speaking up for me. She's speaking up about it and she's helping me see it. And now I can see it. And now I'm going to have to go do work, right? And it is the man, the abusive partner. I, I don't, I have never seen this in all the times I've worked in relationships and all the times I've, I've in my own relationships, as well as working with people in relationships across the world. I have never seen the abuser heal first. Right. Well, and we are kind of seeing that right now on, on a, on a national stage, at, at least from what, I, what I'm seeing is, is people of color are setting a boundary, are speaking up are saying like no more um you need to listen uh, you know and 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 not this quite. is my boundary i mean i think it's messy though because i to, to continue not quite analogy, tatiana not you don't quite. that's not what you're saying no. yeah i think what we're saying i think there's so here's the thing things about boundaries right there's steps to it and the step the step is set the first step is in the boundary is saying this hurts Right. right? I think that's where we are. Gotcha. Where this hurts. There's another part of the boundary where there's, this is why this hurts. And this is, this is why this is not acceptable for me. And also if this continues, this is the consequence. And I don't think we have collectively, and that's, a, that's another empowered step. That's when you, the person who's setting the boundary is actually in their power. When you say not just this hurts, but when you say this is not acceptable, I won't accept this behavior anymore. And if this behavior is continued to be offered, this is the consequence for that. Yes. And the consequence may be you don't get to play with me anymore. Right. Right. There's many different consequences that don't have to be violent. Right. A, conse- a, a very acceptable and a very um, useful consequence is removal of engagement. And that is something that again go back to the abusive relationship right the the person being abused needs to say this is not acceptable for me if you abuse me whether it's this is emotionally or physically again if i see any any remnants like that you're even about to do this i'm out of here right i'm out of here and so this is that's the part that has yet this is the work that we have to do as, as souls and black bodies is really getting clear and really stepping into what's the consequence. So what does I'm out of here look like in this sort of societal example, right? I mean, cause, cause in a relationship it's clear. It's like, I'm out of here. I'm moving out of the house. Like you don't call me anymore. Um, you know, I'm changing my locks, changing my phone number, you know, whatever it is getting a restraining order. Like there are very clear things that you can do to say, I'm out of here in a relationship. What for people who are in black bodies and brown bodies, yeah. like, what does I'm out of here look like? Yeah. This is something I've been just toiling over in my head for the past few weeks. Oh, actually not for, this has been a question I've had for a while. Um, I think 
we can really look at some of what our, uh, you know, our ancestors did and some of what our parents and grandparents did, you know, there was a whole, okay, if this continues, then we have this conversation where we'll take our dollars elsewhere. We will only invest in black businesses. We will only, um, we'll have to, we'll only build our own communities. Maybe it looks like, again, the athletes saying, which which is me personally, I think a lot of this could have been ended a long time ago if this was actually happening. But the athletes and the artists were like, we're not going to perform. I'm not playing another game. Not just I'm going to wear a shirt and put my fist up while I go and play. But I'm not going to play another game. I won't play a game. I'm not going to step out on the field again if if I feel... I am continuing to be disrespected you or know, dishonored or violated. I think, I think you just hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I've been thinking so much about, especially like black artists and musicians, because my husband's a musician, you know, we're both musicians. And for me, like the level of influence that has been, that has existed in my life through black music um, has been so powerful. I mean, it has just like, my life wouldn't be what it, what it is none of our lives i just want to say that like music the music that we all listen to is so deeply heavily influenced like it you can't go anywhere except for maybe like beethoven you know like the classical music coming out of europe but like i mean it's all been from black culture all of it all all the best music and so i think what you're what you are pinpointing I mean, yeah, the artists, the athletes, y'all have power, power beyond measure when it comes to that. Power and boundary are about being uncomfortable for a minute, yeah. right? It's not comfortable. So I, I, I just really want to stay with this, this, this metaphor of the abusive relationship because what we're seeing is a macro level of this, but this is on the micro level, right, between two people. So... It's uncomfortable for a person who has, you've built a house, you have a life, to say, I gotta get my shit up and I gotta go. That's uncomfortable to do that. It's not an easy thing to do. So I don't wanna make it seem like it's easy, but it's necessary for your well being and you will be more well because of it on all the levels, right? Until you, you tell the, and it doesn't even mean that you will never, because I actually believe that relationships and all people can heal, even abusive relationships. But it means until you learn how to stop offering abusive behavior, we don't play together right now. Mm-hmm. And that may be a step that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, again, the removal of your engagement is just one aspect of boundary setting. It may not have to come to that. But a lot of some spaces, it may have to. And that is, are you willing to do what you need to do to become sovereign, to be empowered, to get your needs met? And first, your need for wellness and health. And boundaries are exactly what help you do that. Without boundaries, there is no way, especially for empaths, there is no way that you're going to be well. Because you're going to consistently be walked over, you're going to consistently be violated, your needs are consistently not going to be met, and you're going to move through the world with a lot of resentment and distrust. And that's one of the aspects, as we, we were saying, for the Black soul, um, 
is to to do to really work on that's one of the healing aspects in this or if we're going to transcend racism is for the black community to really get clear on what the collective boundaries are going to be and to offer them and to communicate them and to honor them fiercely that's one side and then for the for the white community for the you know people born into lighter skin bodies what's what is our responsibility in all of this yeah i think it's time to really enhance empathy and it's not we this culture that we are born in all of us um the western culture but especially the western american culture is a very um ego imbalanced and so what i mean by ego imbalanced is is basically this is a narcissistic society Mm-hmm. and what it has based what we built this society and this whole culture on is this i i i high high stress on independence um high stress on dominance high stress on competition and what that ends up doing is it makes you oppress somebody when you are in that space because you're looking at somebody else as not just an other but as either See what ends up happening when you have a when you have a other dynamic and you don't understand the co- connection of things and how we're one is when you have an other dynamic what automatically happens is one of those others has to be less than in the mind and one has to be better than Sure. It's automatically going to be set sure. up that way. Sure. And so how white supremacy has set it up with inside of this thing of of narcissism is the side that I'm on as a white person is the better than side. And when it comes into that, what ends up happening is you don't actually begin to see yourself in the other person. You don't actually get to really care about their lives or how they're going because and also in a narcissistic society, you project your version of reality of uh, onto other per- people's. So you think how your life is is how everybody else's life is. And it begins to not be able to be space to be able to see that somebody else's life is actually different and they may have different needs or they may have different challenges in the world or different things. And so if they speak up about something that's not in your realm of of, of understanding or your realm of belief, then they're automatically wrong and that's false. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing a lot of that happening. So the the case for um souls and white bodies in America specifically is there has to be an enhancing of empathy. And I was listening to a um um so one of my degrees is in psychology and I was listening to this thing that they had on NPR a few weeks ago. And they had this psychologist talking about um how do people actually change their minds? Hmm. And what is this what is the science and the studies actually shown about how do we get people to change their minds and how do we get people to change their belief systems? And they were talking about this thing and this was actually I was like jumping up and down because this is exactly <laughs> what I was getting from my guides. And now I had the science behind it, right? And they were talking about how the process to that really is basically empathy practices where you have to really talk to somebody else. Talk to another person that is different from you. So in this yeah. case, you have to have conversations about about people. Ask them about their life experiences, and decenter yourself in this conversation. So you're literally just listening. You're not implementing your opinions. You're literally just listening to them, and then you imagine 
how you would move through the world in their shoes, in that experience, right? And then you begin to see the world in a different way. And the more conversations you have uh, with people of, that are different from you, and the more deep conversations you have, where you learn about their lives, you have deep conversations about, about things, the, the um, more your brain starts to change and you see things differently. And I want to give you a prime example of this. I want to give you, well, two things. One, um, there's another study that was done that found that the average African-American has three to four white friends that they maneuver in within their life. The average white person has... Actually, the average white person had no black friends. And of the mm-hmm. ones that did have black friends, they had one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this speaks, right? So how much do you actually put yourself and feel connected to black people when you don't even have experience with them? Yeah. And- I, yes. That's, oh, I've been seeing, well, I've been seeing that a lot, you know, um, like in my social media feeds, uh, you know, generally white people being like, I don't understand why everyone's so upset, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I have, I have said, you know, like how many black people are, do you have in your life? Like that you have actually spoken to about this issue? Because my guess is that if you had talked to someone who's actually a real, you know, human being in front of you and had a conversation, you would have some understanding of what's occurring and why people are so upset right now. Um, Right. And, I want to give you this. This is going back again, because this is this is to me, this is the part when we understand it from this lens, we can see it. So going back to the to the the man woman dynamic, let me give you a personal example of this. So after I graduated from college, I I had moved to D.C. and I was working professionally. And um, so, by the way, I went to so I am I I told everyone here I'm a black American man, but I'm also saying gender loving. And I also went to a, my college was a all black male school. And so after college, I went um, and I was working professionally and I met this friend who was a woman. And this was kind of my first real close adult woman friend. And as a, as a same gender loving person, I date men. Um, and I was most, I mostly hang out with men. So my world is pretty male dominated and I've been, I was an athlete as well. So I've been, just been male dominated for the majority of my life outside of my mother and my, my, my family. And so this was my first real close, um, you know, woman friend. And I was talking to her and as I began to talk to her and we would have lunch and, you know, hang out with each other and all this, and we've been talking about lives. There were things about how women move in the world and how the world kind of response to women I had no clue about. Mm-hmm. I had no clue about how much a woman faces the barrage of male sexuality every day. Mm-hmm. I had no, like she would tell me as if it was, as if it was just a, it, was, it rolled so off the tongue of her. She was telling me about this time she had just got off the train to come see me. And this man came up and said hello in this public space and started talking about her breasts. So this full stranger, right? And I was like, men do that? She was like, all the time. Mm -hmm. And as a man, I don't have any experience with that. Even as a same gender loving man, there is still a a level of respect that men offer me because I am a man. Mm -hmm. 
that I did not experience anything like that. And so I started to see, oh my God, how difficult that must be for you. Oh my God, the challenges you got. Oh my God, you experienced that much sexual harassment. Oh my God, this was, and it was this mind blowing experience where I began to really see and I began to have compassion for the experience that a woman has in this world. Yeah. That I had no level of understanding before. And it all came with me just having conversations with this friend of mine um, and hearing about her life and beginning to see the world differently and now understanding some things that she needs. Like, oh, I now get why when we're at a space, you don't really feel comfortable walking to your car alone. Let me help you walk. Let me walk you to your car. Because I now understand why you would, why this is necessary for you, even if you didn't even ask for it. Right. And not and even so making it, it a thing, just saying like, hey, I'm going to walk to your car with right. you. Right. Because I'm here to keep you safe or any of that. Just Because I now I'm being care human. about your well-being. Yeah. <laughs> because I feel connected to you and I understand you now. Yeah. And that is the thing that I think is missing on, and not a, and, and by the way, so I said all that to say because it wasn't like I was intentionally going out to not understand anything about women or intentionally to go out and not feel connected to it. There was just nothing in my life because as a man, I was socialized with men. I was the culture we raised are raised in puts, you know, puts men everywhere and men on TV. So I did not have in my consciousness any awareness of what it's like to move through the world as a woman. And this is the same thing that's happening here, especially in this culture, with the media, with the movies, with the education system. It is, and, and this is a different conversation around, yes, all that is purposeful, but that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But there, you are not educated about our lives at all in right. any shape, way, or form. And so there's you move through the world not having any awareness of what, it's like to be a soul in a black body or what a soul in the black body needs in the world or how it has to maneuver in the world. And so from that space, there's, there's this, this is where we're, some people will call privilege. Um, this is the, this is the blindness that comes in. And the only way to heal that is to begin to integrate yourself with blackness and conversations with black people and having relationships with them outside of just passing by them in work or seeing them on TV. Now, I have a question for you about this because this I've been seeing this come up a lot, right? Where it's like, okay, say I'm say I'm a white person and I have zero black friends and I I want to know but it's like but but I'm also being told like it's not okay to just approach someone because they're black and talk to them about right. their world right and right. it's and it's not it's it's not okay you know to just randomly ask a black person questions it's not it's not okay to sort of like share any feelings that i'm having around you know i i i can imagine it's it feels very analogous to when the me too mm -hmm. movement erupted and then men were like uh i'm not supposed to breathe like, right. Where I do I, where do I go? How do yeah. I do this? And I'm trying to, but then this is the wrong move. Right. Yes. So I'll, I'll give you like, so prime, like some, some high suggestions for this. So one is to really be super mindful now of what you're taking in image wise, 
image wise? What type of movies? Are, when's the last time you saw a black film? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you saw a black show? When's the last time, like, I can, I can guarantee you, because, you know, even I, my master's was in film. And I was the only black person in my master's program in the film department. So I was with all these, you know, other people that were white. And all the films that I would be talking about and that I would have to t- teach and present on, none of them had seen that were black. Mm-hmm. And all of the black people I knew across the country had seen that film, not just seen it, but they had seen it so many times they have memorized it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is the culture. We, so that's the first thing you can do. That doesn't require any type of, you know, interpersonal. Watch some black films, read some black book. When's the last time you read some literary works by black people? Mm-hmm. And there are fabulous literate there are so many out there about black uh, when's the last time like and not just i read this one by blackness i have had to read in my education system you know two over 200 300 books i guarantee you 99.9 percent of those books were written by somebody white right right so you have to be very conscious and deliberate about getting black <laughs> blackness into you because that's not the way our systems are set up. So go to the library and check out a book that uh, that was written by a black author. Watch some black films. That's the first thing you can do. Mm-hmm. The second thing you can do is the things that you engage in. Like, you know, when's the last time you went to a spiritual retreat or, or a personal growth retreat or a spiritual growth retreat that was led by a black person and had a majority of a black audience. Mm -hmm. They do exist. They are out there. But the majority of the time spaces we go to are with people that look like this, especially in this field. I used to do a whole thing talking about this, where if all the the spiritual teachers that you follow and the retreats that you go to and the medicines that that you take when you go to these things, if they're issued by somebody that looks like you, you're not going to believe in the messages that when people don't look like you. So that's one thing you could do. Make it, a, make it a deliberate account that once a year you go to a retreat where you're not in the majority. I have to, the majority, the majority of retreats that are offered, the majority of retreats that are offered in the field are by, are by people that don't look like me, but there are people that do look like me. So I know what that experience is. That's the majority of the experiences I am. I'm usually the only black person at the space, but I also know that there are retreats. I give them <laughs> where there are people of color mm-hmm. are the majority, but we rarely see white people in those spaces. And why do you think that is? Again, I think the way we have um, been trained, I think the way that the, especially souls and white bodies in this country have been trained, you are not used to seeing yourself in us. Well, I can so say- So when you see us, when you see a black dais, you immediately think, that's not for me. Right, I was just gonna say- But when I, I see a white dais- Yeah. 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 Not, well, not- that's- for me, it's not the it's not the 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 day is so much as it's the experience that I've had. And I and I grew up um, in a very diverse neighborhood. Um, you know, one of my best friends, her family was from Eritrea. Growing up, like my my other best friend was half Bolivian. Like, and I went to school in a primarily black neighborhood. Like, I and I so I 
it was in, it was, it was around me. Like I, I didn't, I didn't have to go very far to, to have experiences with people who were different than me. Um, and yet as I've, as I've become an adult and I've chosen, you know, because I, I'm someone who's very connected to nature and a lot of the places that I've chosen to live, um, that are, have a lot of nature around, there's like primarily white people and we can go into the history of why that is too, but, um, but it's, it's become, it's like I've had to effort more as I've gotten mm-hmm. older to, to find myself in spaces where I am a minority, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times what I have experienced, especially when I see something that is primarily people of color, immediately my mind goes to, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. that's 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 for that's for them and 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 it's this and it's this weird thing that happens right because part of it is like wanting to respect that space because i know that our culture is so predominantly white and and you know pushes that in everyone's face everywhere and so there's this piece that's like well i don't want to show up as a white body in a primarily or all black space because like they should get to have that and I shouldn't have to insert myself there. Right. So there's this like weird thing because there's a part of me that really wants it. Right. I mean, some of my, I remember when I was living in Boulder and I had all of these friends from Africa and there was like the most fun times, right. For me, I've been in those communities because there's a, um, there's just a, a way of being that, that resonates so much in my soul and that I just, I light up in a whole different way when I'm in spaces that are primarily people of color. Those are like some of my favorite spaces. And yet, and yet um, there's a part of me that feels like I, it's not okay to be there. Yeah. I think one of the things too is allowing people, this is something that I've really been sitting into in this last few, few weeks is allowing people to ask for what they really need too. So if it doesn't say, this goes back again to the male, male woman relationship, man woman relationship. If it doesn't say this space is for women only, then I can be there mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to learn. And if it doesn't say this is about women, right? We're going to do this thing about women, then I'm going to be there. And I probably need to be there because I'm going to learn something. Um, about women and i'm probably going to learn something about myself that i wouldn't have gotten in another space and this is the thing about letting people also be in their power and letting people speak to power because again black folks if you want this to be a black space speak it say it right and if they haven't said it um because a lot of times as a black person i know this full on it's not a black space it just ends up being a black space because white people don't come into it It wasn't just supposed to be for us, but it ends up being just us in there because uh, because the way the the mind and the white mind in America has been socialized. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not I don't put faults like this is this is stuff that's happening in the systems. It has been socialized to not see itself in blackness. Right. So when there's something black happening that absolutely doesn't have anything to do with me, which is why you don't see the black films, which is why you don't read the black books, which is why you don't go to the white spaces. But black, the black mind has been socialized to see itself in whiteness. Mm -hmm. So I have to, I go to this movie 
there is nobody that looks like me in this movie anywhere, but I am fully resonating with the main character. I am reading this book. And and even in history classes, in history classes, which is one of the reasons why I couldn't stay in history in school. Mm -hmm. But in history, I'm learning all about What's happening in Europe? What's it's over white here in Sweden? Yeah. It's white men. There is. I am not anywhere in this. And when I am, I am. I get two days where we talk about and what it is. Guess what it is? It's slavery. Slavery. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. And so, I don't learn anything about what Africa was before that. I don't learn right. anything about what it is now. I don't learn anything about any of the other blackness that exists around the world i'm always knowing about whiteness so i have been socialized to see myself in whiteness and to see that which is fine because that's as a soul we are connected you are another version of me so that's how i experience my oneness i can see myself in you you haven't been trained to experience your oneness in me and that is the work for whiteness is to really start to begin to train yourself to see the oneness in me and that is in conversations, that's in putting yourself in spaces where I am, that is in reading books, that is in a lot of that type of work. And what that, why I call it empathy work, is what that does is it heightens and raises and elevates your sense of connection and oneness and belonging to me. And it's also very different. I just want to say, because something else that I've seen happen is a lot of, you know, white people who are in the more spiritual realms um, or play in those realms saying like, but we're all one. So why are we talking about race? Mm -hmm. And like, that's not, that's (laughs) not okay either because. Well, you're not practicing it. Right. See, I don't, I don't think we, we really understand like, what oneness is because you wouldn't say to your child you know we're all one you everybody in this family is one so your needs i don't care about your needs because your my needs when when my needs are met your needs are met too right right you know your child has needs you have i'm eating so you don't have to (laughs) so you don't i'm eating so you don't have to eat right? right or you know in a relationship with your partner you know, again, take it down to the macro level in a relationship with your partner. You wouldn't say we're both one. So I don't see what you're talking about because I don't have to see what your, what your issues are. We're all one. We don't need to talk about the, you're a woman. I don't, we see the difference between men and women while also understanding we're connected. We can celebrate the differences that men and women bring to the table and that there are different things that they need and there are different ways we need to relate to each other. We can celebrate that while also saying we're also one at the same time. And this is where oneness has completely bypassed, that conversation is a bypass. Right. Because you're not seeing the difference and honoring the needs of each difference. Because the thing is, if there's nothing wrong, this is another thing with the spiritual realm, which again, this is my field, so I'm going to speak to my people. <laughs> um, this is the real problem with the spiritual realm because... We don't understand fully that the soul does not want sameness. Mm. Mm-hmm. The, to the soul, sameness is death because sameness doesn't bring growth. Yeah. Difference brings growth. And so if you're not going to celebrate, I used to do this whole thing when people say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm 
believe in spirit and, and I don't see color, you're lying because you chose what you wore today based on what the color was. Right. You put the flowers in your yard based on the color. You wouldn't go out to these flowers and say, I don't see any, they can all be the same color forever all across the world. It wouldn't matter to me. No, you want different colors of flowers. You want your house to have different colors. You want the clothes on your body to have different colors. You don't wear the same color and you wouldn't want everybody to wear the same color all the way throughout life. That's not true. What you don't want to do is attribute value to color. Mm-hmm. And that, I want you to see my color. I want you to see the beauty it brings. I want you to see the difference it brings. I want you to see the difference in the world that I bring because I definitely bring it differently than you. And I want to see yours too. I, what I don't want to do in my consciousness is start to do less than, more than. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's and, the thing. And that's what oh, we've been conditioned to do. That's what we've been conditioned to do. That's where oppression comes from. That's where abuse comes from is when we start to do this less than, more than thing. Yeah. And that's the thing where, where we need to heal. Um, and this is the different paths that it has to heal. Because, the again, as a Black community, we've been really conditioned into the less than. And there's a lot of things that happen when you come into that. You don't have boundaries. You don't really focus on your own needs. There's a lot that has to happen in that space for you to really come into, oh, wait a minute, I'm worthy. I'm unconditionally lovable. Life loves me. When you come into more than, you start to have other people meet your needs. You don't care about them, what happens in the, in the margins. And what has to happen is when you come into your centeredness and your lovability, and yes, life loves me, and I'm not, and, and it loves all of us. So what happens, I'm connected to you. So your well-being is connected to mine. So I can't not just care what happens to you on the margins because what's happening to you ultimately is affecting me too negatively. And, you know, it's interesting because just what's coming to me right now, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it not, I, I mean, I've been sitting inside of this issue and asking questions also and, um, and re- receiving a lot of different information from a lot of different places. But one of the, one of the ways that you just put it, it's like, I mean, when we talk about on an ancestral level too, like this, this message of less than has been handed down. Right. And mm-hmm. f- through the generations and, and likewise, the, the lesson of, of, you know, better than has been handed down through mm-hmm. the generations. And, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you when you, when you're saying like the, 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 those who are on the side of empathy have to do that boundary work first, in a sense, it's like, because on, on the side of, of better than like, I have no reason to give up the privilege that mm-hmm. comes with that. If I can still see you as separate or less than, I, there's, there's no motivation for me to change my behavior. None whatsoever. Oh, yeah. However, if you start to claim your sovereignty and your worth and, and, and you say, no, I, I am equal to you. We, we are equals. I am human. I am not less than you. I am a sovereign being. Then it's a way harder for me to pretend that you're less than. You can't. Like, it goes, it, so I remember this um, relationship that I worked with many years ago. And um, it was, again, using this, it was a, a relationship between a man and a woman. And this 
woman had been abused by him. And one of the things she did was um, she left. And we, we started to work together right when she left. And one of the things he started to do was come by. Like in the beginning, he was trying to come by and say, oh, I'm so sorry that it went into the whole, like, why are you doing this to me? And all of that type of stuff. And as she began to do her work around, like, um, but she really loved him. She really, really loved him. And so we did this work around like, okay, so you have to become a healthy person so that you only accept healthy behavior. And so as we looked at that, right, and around owning her sovereignty and coming into her power and having boundaries and understanding what's acceptable for her and what she needs and getting her needs met, finally getting her needs met, because that's another thing that happens in those type of relationships, the person that's being abused doesn't ever get their needs met. So finally getting your needs met and then having conversations with him about, you know, as he was doing his own work too, he, he did begin to do some work and having conversations that he began to see. And she was saying, this is not acceptable and this won't be accepted. And him understanding that and honoring that. And then the, also if he began to exhibit any type of behavior that was even looking like it was about to be abusive, it was like this right here, if you do it one more time, I'm out. Right. And as they began to ask, the more empowered she felt, not just the behavior that she was eliciting, but the vibration she was carrying, the more empowered she felt and the more worthy she felt, the different he began to respond to, the more different he began to respond to her. He couldn't show up to, to her in the same way. He couldn't behave with her in the same way. And it's completely and they were able to get back in the relationship and it's healthy today. Hmm. But it required both of them doing their work, but mostly it required her. She set the tone. And I think that's the, that's the type of, um, we alluded to that in the beginning, but around the, in the empath narcissist relationship, with the, the person that really sets the pace of it is the empath. Yeah. But not being aware of that. Right. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's the biggest stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I've gone way over time, and I want to just honor because I know you are super busy, and I just want to thank you so so much for for taking the time out to to be with us today and to to have this conversation and to to continue to bring forward what you're bringing forward. Um, So please, for our listeners, go check Jerome out on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, because he's putting out messages every day um, around this stuff, and it's powerful and it's important to be to be learning from and listening to. So, so thank you, Jerome. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Good, good. I'm glad. And to our listeners, thank you so much for continuing to tune in, for continuing to do the work, um, and f- and for listening and for for turning around and applying this to your life. So thank you for that and for continuing to show up. And if you have not yet gone and checked out all the ways to play with us at superpowerexperts.com, go and do that. Download the app so you can listen to your favorite shows right there at your fingertips. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.